0: I'm Laura Herberg, and this is Curiosity, where WDET finds answers to your questions about Detroit. Before it became the Motor City, Detroit was a city of rivers and streams flowing through green fields into the Strait of Detroit. That bit of history is now buried under miles of concrete, which makes listener Bill McGraw of Dearborn wonder
1: There's been talk in Detroit and certainly elsewhere in the country over the last few years about daylighting buried streams. And there's lots of buried streams uh, under Detroit. And I'm curious if there is any daylighting going on in Detroit.
0: WDET's Pat Batchelor finds out.
2: I'm at Elmwood Cemetery in Detroit, surrounded by the graves of some of the city's most historic figures. I'm standing on a bridge over a small stretch of a stream that runs between two sewer pipes. This is the only part of Bloody Run Creek that still flows above ground. Architect Steve Vogel says a little over a decade ago, his firm wanted to reduce flooding and create economic opportunities by daylighting this creek.
1: If you put a creek in a sewer and then you open up the sewer, you're daylighting.
2: Bloody Run used to flow across miles of farmland before the Civil War. After the war, Detroit's population swelled as factories replaced farms. The city installed sewers, which sometimes overflowed during heavy rains, contaminating this creek and others. After a cholera outbreak in 1880, the city built new sewers that buried Bloody Run, except for this small part. A century later, Detroit was in decline as plants closed and people moved out. The sewers got old, and even today, heavy rains cause sewers to back up in people's basements. One reason Steve Vogel's firm wanted to Daylight Bloody Run is to reduce flooding in the city. Vogel says the project would have created a new natural drainage system that would have kept billions of gallons of extra water out of Detroit sewers. The
1: sewers are very old. 80% of sewers are stormwater when they're combined. So if you eliminated the stormwater, you can build much smaller sewers.
2: By daylighting Bloody Run, the architects at Vogel's firm wanted to follow as much of the creek's original footprint as they could, but that path is mostly buried underneath buildings and streets now. Rather than tear all that out, Vogel says they were planning to dig new canals that could carry water from General Motors' factory zero in Hamtramck through Eastern Market and along the Quintercut to the Detroit River.
1: It's the path of least resistance. You know, we didn't we're not fooling around with any buildings.
2: The Bloody Run initiative was based on a daylighting project Vogel worked on in Kalamazoo.
1: They had that huge problem with, you know, every spring their downtown businesses' basements would flood. I mean, that's a big driver.
2: The Arcadia Creek project not only reduced flooding, it brought new development to downtown Kalamazoo, including apartments and a festival plaza that hosts concerts and other events. Other cities have done daylighting, San Francisco, Vancouver, Zurich, and Seoul, to name a few. Steve Vogel isn't the only urban planner to see Detroit's daylighting potential. Lars Grabner is a principal at Volume 1 Design Studio. He says there are many places in Detroit that are fertile ground for daylighting.
1: Detroit is in a... Um, absolutely fantastic condition at the moment having uh, these adv- advantages of uh, lots of um, empty land, which not every city has.
2: Graibner created a map of Detroit showing the original locations of rivers and creeks like Bloody Run that were buried or lost over time. He says daylighting some of those areas would replenish groundwater and improve neighborhoods near vacant land.
1: If you have a you know well-designed or natural stream and wetlands adjacent to it, you could uh, increase the value of the properties uh, quite dramatically.
2: Bloody Run's price tag in 2010, when Vogel's firm was pushing for it, was estimated at a billion dollars. The city didn't have that kind of money and filed for bankruptcy in 2013. A decade later, the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department says it's still not pursuing any daylighting projects due to costs and project scope. Instead, spokesman Brian Peckinpah says the department is designing relief sewers and green stormwater infrastructure to reduce flooding. Outside of Detroit, the Great Lakes Water Authority leaves daylighting decisions to local governments and drain commissioners. In Macomb County, that job falls to Public Works Commissioner Candace Miller. On a misty morning in Sterling Heights, Miller shows me a huge drain. It's a
1: five-mile-long drain. And it's very wide, uh, uh, and it runs in between 15 and 16-mile road.
2: Like Detroit, Macomb County has long had problems with sewers overflowing after heavy rain. Using federal grants, the county daylighted a a two-and-a-half-mile section of this drain, replacing large pipes with natural features to absorb stormwater. As we survey the drain from a new hiking and biking path next to it, we see trees, grass, and native plants lining its banks. What we don't see is water. Candace Miller says that's the idea.
1: And so what is happening here, we're standing in front of this drain. We've just had uh, uh, over a half an inch of rain and you don't see a drop in this drain because uh, everything has um, filtrated into this soil here, mother nature acting as a natural sponge.
2: It's also providing a habitat for monarch butterflies. A daylighting project of this size is not in Detroit's immediate plans, but those who want to unearth bloody runs say it's still a viable project and they hope the money is there someday to save at least one creek from its buried past.
0: That piece was produced by WDET's Pat Batchelor. Up next, we'll learn about some daylighting projects that have come to fruition around the country, even in northern Michigan. But first, let's take a quick break. Celebrate 75 years of public radio in Detroit with WDET.
1: As our spring fundraiser commences, let's unite to support what makes Detroit unique. 75 years of people-powered radio. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile
0: app. After hearing Pat's story, I wanted to learn more about daylighting projects across the country, so I reached out to Gary Bellin, the senior director of the Clean Water Supply Program at American Rivers. The national nonprofit put out a report on daylighting in 2016. Gary says daylighting projects began happening in the 80s and early 90s, and there are still projects underway today. I asked him to tell me about a couple success stories.
3: Sawmill Creek in Yonkers, New York, is one of the big case studies. That river uh, was uh, buried in the uh, early 1900s and actually through the, uh, the 70s and early 80s they were starting to have more and more flooding problems and sewage overflow issues. So the city uh, of Yonkers went through the whole planning process and did a complete uh, daylighting of about I think it was 1700 feet uh, of river in the community. They couldn't do a complete natural system. They had to have it bordered by some concrete just to make sure that uh, There wasn't any flooding in the the downtown area, but they were able to put in some natural systems uh, as part of it. And as a result, they've had a a huge uh, number of economic benefits uh, where they have uh, some festivals downtown. There's some concert venues uh, that have popped up around this, and it's just uh, provided a little bit more green space.
0: Can you describe what it looks like now that they have the stream unearthed?
3: Before the daylighting, you're talking about some your typical city streets, building blocks, blocks of buildings and uh, and sidewalks. After the restoration, I want you to picture uh, an actually stream or river that's about 10, 12 feet across. And it's surrounded by some nice green space, uh, some trees, bushes and natural settings all along it. And then uh, some nice meandering sidewalks and paths on either side where that uh downtown parking lot and an old abandoned buildings were before
0: wow it's really bringing nature right to uh an urban area
3: it is i'm sorry that i'm sounding distracted i'm dealing with this crazy cat
0: <laughs> oh no i didn't even i didn't even notice <laughs> oh, what's sorry. the cat doing
3: oh uh, he he's he was just mounting a little bit now he's just plopped himself on the laptop here oh my goodness <laughs> sorry about that it's like there's three other people to pay him attention in this household and he uh needs to pick me but yeah that's the great thing about these things is that you know we have this this motto here when dealing with clean waters we want every child to be able to get their feet wet in a stream or creek Uh, and so many people have had that experience growing up or, or actually there's a lot of people in these urban areas that never had that experience growing up so when you do these daylighting streams in these urban areas it's really giving an opportunity for for people, for kids, um, animals to get their feet wet, right? Um, And have that experience of nature, that green space, so much closer to where they actually live.
0: Were there other case studies that you'd also like to talk about?
3: One of the most recent ones uh, that I I find really impressive is Salt Lake City's um, Three Creeks confluence. This is uh, the confluence of these three mountain streams that run into Jordan River. And if you saw pictures of this before, uh, it was just basically some abandoned lots. Um, the road had been paved right over this confluence of streams. It just looked like, like an abandoned area. But it had been actually paved over years ago. I think it was the Seven Canyons Trust was the organization that, that kind of put the steam behind this uh, project. They, they pitched it in 2014 uh, as an idea of developing a park for this, uh, this urban area and uh, construction began in 2020 and their vision came to life in 2021 so you have this about like a 20-foot river area and pond area that are now flowing into jordan creek with some bridges and gazebos a lot of green space along the edges and there are people that go fishing there now Uh, another example is uh, kids creek up in traverse city michigan there, this river flowed underneath culverts so there were uh, bridges and then uh, other roads that went over top of it and it flowed for about 900 feet underground like that and they were able to turn it into a, a 1200 foot meandering stream and the uh, the goal there uh, was to make the stream look like what it might have been 150 years ago and actually that one has spurred a lot of other um, stream restoration around the area. Once they did the daylighting, they have a the whole plan now to restore areas of it that are uh, are above ground but have been damaged by stormwater pollution and other things. They're restoring that just to make it a whole much longer system of streams for the that downtown area.
0: So is there sufficient funding for daylighting projects? How does that work?
3: Well, that varies from community to community. Um, a lot of communities have to make the decision and decide if how they're going to fund it locally. So they could issue a bond, a community bond. There are a lot of federal infrastructure funding uh, resources. In fact, the infrastructure bill that was just passed last year, there are a lot of opportunities there to actually fund daylighting projects if they make sense uh, and and meet the criteria. I know a lot of communities um, have, when they've built these, they've actually issued a bond Um, But after the project is finished, the real estate prices have actually increased. And so they're actually able to tax more, have higher revenue due to their taxes as a result of the the project. So in the end, it actually ends up being an economic gain as opposed to an economic uh, uh, draw.
0: And just before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to add about daylighting that you think is important for our listeners to understand or ponder? Uh,
3: I, I think... If you go down to a creek or a stream, it's just so relaxing. Uh, and just the mental health benefits you get of uh, a healthy, bubbling brook. Uh, for a lot of people, uh, that's sort of like, there can be their Zen moment. And, and just to have the imagination of how all these streams actually uh, are, are around us. Thousands of uh, stream and river miles uh, have been buried over the years. And there's just these hidden worlds waiting to be rediscovered in our communities. And so with just a little bit of imagination, a little bit of community planning, there are these great sources of green space, of recreation, of just mental health that can be rediscovered and and put into our communities in such a short period of time if we just have a little bit of imagination, a little bit of curiosity, and uh, put in a little bit of hard work.
0: That was Gary Bellin of the national nonprofit American Rivers. His cat's name is Reed. You've been listening to Curiosity, a production of 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Thanks to Bill McGraw for submitting his question to Curiosity. Bill is actually a reporter himself and a man of too many achievements to list here. But if you like Curiosity, you'll probably like a column that he edits in the Detroit Free Press known as the Free Press Flashback. Thanks to Pat Bachelor for answering Bill's question. This episode was produced by me, Laura Herberg. Mastering and some mixing for the episode were done by WDET's Connor Anderson. Our music is by Will Sessions. Thanks to WDET's head of podcasts, David Lyons, for production support. WDET's digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak. A reminder that we always want to hear from you. If there's something that you're curious about that's about Detroit, submit it at WDET.org curious, and you might hear your question featured in a future episode. That's WDET.org curious, and I'll put the link in the show notes. If you like this podcast, then support it. WDET is a nonprofit and listeners who make tax-deductible donations to our station are crucial to projects like Curiosity. If you're ready to donate, go right now to wdet.org/give. Once you're there, you'll see that there's no set amount. You get to choose the amount that you would like to give, whether that's say a one-time gift of $100 or a monthly gift of $5. Once you donate, you can choose a thank you gift if you'd like, and I always do. The swag that I have my eye on right now is a WDET tote bag that has a zipper so you can keep all your stuff in it. It's like a fancy tote bag. You can also get a New York Times digital subscription, which is a really nice way to get more bang for your buck. And then there's a WDET mug. It's a large mug, and it has a picture of our radio tower on it that listeners helped us buy, so that's really cool. You can check out all the gifts right now at wdet.org slash give. And when you donate, don't forget to tell them that Curiosity sent you. I need my boss to know that people care about this project, that they support this project, so that we can continue to answer your questions about Detroit. Thanks so much.